back to Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater to take center stage in lives they love. I am your host, Emily Stamets, and I am so, so grateful to be back with you after, what, a year and a half? And holy moly, what a year and a half it has been for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to be back with you today. My guest today is Cindy Cooper, who also writes as Cynthia L. Cooper, so you may see her credited that way. Um, She actually began her career as a lawyer and a journalist and a nonfiction author before she became a playwright, which I think is super cool, and we talk a bit about that in our conversation. Um, She she writes specifically uh, often on topics of justice, women, and human rights. Um, Her plays have been produced across New York at primary stages, the Women's Project, Wings, the Museum of Tolerance, and many other venues. She's also been produced across the United States in a bunch of different cities, and also Montreal, Budapest, and Jerusalem. She's a two-time Jerome Fellow. Her plays are in 17 volumes. She's won awards from Pen and Brush, Samuel French, etc., etc. I think you can understand why I was so excited to talk to her, because she's amazing and so accomplished. I think especially for someone who came to playwriting, um, a bit late in her career. Pretty awesome. Um, what I, a thing that I'm really also excited, uh, to have talked to Cindy about is her interest in, um, gender parity in theater. So not only is she writing about issues of, you know, women and justice, um, but she also is working towards gender parity within theater. She's the founder of reprofreedomarts.org, which is a theater group that has traveled to 20 different states to open up conversations about reproductive rights. And she's one of, one of her newest projects is she's one of the four artistic instigators of Statue Fest, which is a really cool new theater project um, about women who deserve statues. That's happening, I believe, in New York, but also in several other cities across the United States. And we do talk about that as well in our uh, conversation. Um, So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. I was excited to have this conversation, um, and I'm really grateful to be able to share it with you. I'm grateful to you for coming back and for starting listening again. Um, And mostly, I'm just grateful and happy to be able to be back producing this podcast after... uh, a bit of a wild ride of the last couple of years. So thanks again. I have missed you. I am happy to be back. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Cindy Cooper. I oh, sorry. I just hit the record button. Um, I forgot she like this voice comes on and tells you now that you're being recorded, <laughs> which is probably for the best. Um, no, I mean, I feel like I, I guess I have like a stack of playbills. What do you have in storage? You probably have tons of scripts and things scripts, research, boxes of paper. I'm like one of the primary <laughs> offenders of paper use. I, I get it delivered in cartons and it fills. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you're more of a, a paper and pen person rather than like a digital typing person? No, I do both, but I like to have hard copies to look yeah. at. Um, yeah. And yeah, and in fact, I think it's hard just to write digitally. I don't know how I mean, I need to look at it and be able to like uh, envision it. Yeah, I agree. I especially what I don't mind when I'm when I'm writing a first draft, I'll I'll type it up, but then I always like to print it out and be able to do my revisions and notes to myself on a hard copy. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. how my brain works. It's like yeah. being born pre pre digital era is uh, <laughs> you know going all through school with like you know having hard copies of everything maybe has changed the way my brain works or affected it. 
Yeah, or maybe the people who don't have hard copies, it's changed how their brains work. Yep. <laughs> Chicken and the egg. Um, okay, yeah. so let's go ahead and get started. So for the record, I always like to just say that today is July 28th, 2021. It's always nice to have that recording. Um, and let's start. Can you pronounce your name for me to make sure that I'm getting it right? It's Cindy Cooper. And I also you know, write you under never Cynthia know. L. <laughs> Cynthia L. Cooper or Cindy Cooper. Awesome. And may I call you Cindy? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Great. <laughs> and what are your pronouns, Cindy? Her. Amazing. Perfect. Well, let's just jump. I mean, we, all, we already j jumped in a little bit here talking about hard copies and digital copies of things. Um, but let's go ahead and get started with the first question, if you don't mind. Um, how did you get started in theater? I, w I got started in playwriting more than theater, and um, I'm kind of an accidental playwright uh, in that I was working as a lawyer and a journalist and a print journalist and a journalist in television. And, um, I decided to take a year off and I was writing. I was writing a novel and then I decided to write a play and it got accepted for this grant. And I really liked, after that, I like fell in love with playwriting. I just loved, um, I love the size of plays, if that makes sense, that they're more yeah. than an, more than an article, unless it's, you know, one act, uh, but they're less than a book, mm -hmm. um, which I've also written. Uh, and I, I like, uh, I liked experimenting with the form. And uh, so that there's lots of different ways you can write a play and, and there aren't, uh, there's less experimentation, that type of journalism that I do. And um, I had things I wanted to say. It's okay. That, <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I couldn't get into journalism, that I couldn't get into um, uh, television journalism or law. And so, um, I, I, I became addicted. Is there, is there like a specific <laughs> moment that you remember thinking like, yes, playwriting is the thing? Like, was there like a crystal clear epiphany or anything? Well, I, the whole collaborative process, working with a, um, a director and a cast, because as, um, as a journalist and uh, uh, as an author, um, you're very much on your own. You know, you're 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 there, uh, to, especially today, or the type of writing I do, where I'm freelance. Um, I have to build my own networks, but ultimately, it's just me and my sources and my writing, and it goes out there. And sometimes you never hear back from anybody. You know, <laughs> now you can sort of read some online comments, but in the, uh, in the past. Uh, you just never knew how it was being received. And so the idea of being in a room with people where they're actually responding to your work and you can, and you can um, ha have a conversation with them about it and you can uh, think about it and see how they think about it. That, I think that's what was so exciting. Yeah. You said um, in one of our emails back and forth, you said that you like that theater offers people the opportunity for transformation. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, um, I do um, uh, different kinds of theater and one relates to reproductive freedom. And um, I think 
in theater, it's it's one of the few forms of communication where you're actually engaging with people's um, their own thinking. You're there, they're there, and they're responding um, for, from their own mind, their own imagination, and their own thoughts and their own experiences. And so they can step into the shoes of somebody and have an empathetic experience and find something new that they find for themselves. And that's what I think allows for transformation. And I don't think film really does that in most cases. Mm -hmm. And I don't think um, it's, it's rare for other forms of media to do that. But, you know, maybe, maybe religion does. Um, but, you know, but people actually can experience something and then they can um, look at different possibilities and maybe come to a different conclusion or maybe absorb information that they hadn't thought about before. So um, with uh, uh, the reproductive freedom work that I do, we take uh, shows around, we've gone to 20 states and I often have people come up to me or even come up to me much later. Someone came up to me one time, like several years later and said, she brought her son to a show he was a teenager and it changed his entire way of looking at girls. Mm. He, he, these are things he'd never been exposed to. He'd never thought about. Um, other people, you know, even like uh, doctors um, have said to me, like just how reaffirming it was and reassuring and, and um you know, support, supported them in their uh, difficult work. Mm -hmm. So I think, I just think your theater offers uh, an opportunity to embrace people, embrace ideas that uh, really you don't find in other forms of media, at yeah, least not there, to the same extent. Yeah, there's something really magical about being in the room when it happens, I think, that you don't get when you're, you know, reading a, a novel or like you said, watching a film, something that's already been recorded. There's an energy to that, right? Right. That for that, yeah. And a group experience and, you know, or even an experience of the neighbor or whatever. I mean, I'm notorious for when I go to the theater, the first thing I do is I turn to the people on either side of my, me and introduce myself. <laughs> And, you know, say hello, what brought you here? Um, just to open up conver that conversation. Like we're, here, we're both here, we're both waiting. Let's say hello. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> do you think that, or I, I mean, this is, let me ask that a different way. Um, how do you think that your experience in journalism has affected the way that you approach playwriting? Wow, that's a really good question. Well, so I, I, I do lots of different styles of playwriting. So that's, and, and some of it is documentary. But I think a lot, a number of my plays are left over from journalism. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's something I've, I've uh, worked on in a journalistic project, but it doesn't fit in the project. Or I have questions about it, even after I'm done. Or I have questions about my own role. Sometimes um, journalism, um, you know, sometimes it's you're dealing with trauma, not only the trauma of victims or you know people you're encountering, but then you experience it yourself. So sometimes it's dealing with my own experience of it. I also think um, I tend to research a lot, even when I'm writing about my own family. 
you know, I, race, I, I just tend to, uh, and, and I do that as a journalist as well, but I, I, I um, encourage uh, students, you know, the thing like uh, write about what you know. So I, I feel everybody has a sense of, you know, an emotional sense, maybe by the time they're four or five or six. So that you know that, but also no more. You know, there are ways to go out and and use your curiosity to talk to people, to uh, engage with people, to read things, to interview. I do a, number, a lot of plays that are based on interviews. Um, so I think maybe the, the thing that connects them both is curiosity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, I imagine that your background as a lawyer also has a lot to do with your love of research. <laughs> um, maybe it has to do with uh, uh, wanting to get things right. Mm. You know, both of them do. But, you know, um, there is a lot of research in the law. And a lot of people don't realize that. But, um, you know, they always say the best lawyer is the one who says, I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. about that because they go and look it up and they go and uh, try to understand the your particular situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think also though, um, through the law, I had, I got an in-depth understanding about the justice system and some things that I think are wrong about it or that um, need more exploration or that, um, are skipped over in the public discourse. And that tends to be a lot of, you know, a lot of what I end up writing about. Mm-hmm. Like I have one play, it's a very short play. It's been produced a lot called Sentences and Words. And it's about a <clears throat> woman defense attorney going to talk to the mother of a, of a victim who's been murdered. And this is not necessarily within the, the code of professional conduct, you know, but going to talk, going to talk to the woman about speaking out against the death penalty. And um, so just uh, for people, and so it's just an opportunity to probe for me to probe, you know, what is the death penalty? What does it mean? You know, what does it mean for people that have some sort of a resolution to a horrible situation, and um, so I think I think uh, being in the law uh, ha- helped me. Like it helps me understand those gray areas, which mm-hmm. um, you can explore in theater. Mm-hmm. I think when I was in law school, the dean the very first day said to us, um, the, "I know you think the law is black and white." He said, "The law is." only like multiple shades of gray and I don't mean that in the porn sense but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know there there <laughs> there are very few absolutes in the law and um that's you know what theater can explore is that those middle grounds and who who what is right and what is wrong you know um from a value sense and and what is right and what is wrong in terms of what are the law the laws that are being applied yeah so uh let's go back to that that first play that you wrote so you were working on a novel you decided to write a play you won this award what's been the journey from that point of that first play to where you are today and what you're doing today 
that was at the Playwright Center in Minneapolis. So I, I learned the, the uh, workshop process and I'm very um, committed to that. I just kept writing. <clears throat> you know, there have been periods of times when I've stopped, but um, I, I just kept going and I had more ideas and I have a lot of ideas. Uh, sometimes I, I take advantage of um, offers that are made to write for a specific project. Uh, and um, just I just, you know, now I have, um, I'm in New York now. I have, I guess about 20 full length plays and about 40 or 50 short plays. And, um, you know, I just kept going. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it sounds like the path has sort of just opened itself for you. Well, I love, I like the process of it. I like writing plays as well as being in that collaborative part. So mm -hmm. I get such, um, even when it's hard, it's always hard, but it's so satisfying just to go and be with characters or be with a story and <clears throat> try to develop it. So um, yeah. you mentioned that you, you learned the workshop process. Can you give us a little snapshot of what, what that means to you? Like, what is the workshop process? for you? Yeah, well, it's it's working uh, early on and all through the process with um, other participants, a director or maybe a dramaturg, an actor. Um, you know, it never makes sense to me until I hear it and then get people's, you know, feedback. Uh, and, uh, and then to continue to refine it in that way where, where, um, where you do you know, multiple readings have opportunities to shape and develop it, to cut and to add, um, but also not to stop at that development, but to go on to the production. So, you know, um, you know, I'm sure you know lots of people talk about overdevelopment, but you know, to, to use that as a, a way to refine the vision and to bring in other people's concepts and ideas and and filter them in or shape the piece and then bring out something that is, um, um, I would say audience friendly. I'm, I'm very aware of trying to communicate to people. So to bring out something that, that the audience can respond to. And I'm starting to think a little bit more about how playwrights should get involved in the post play discussion. Oh, Make mm -hmm. a more active role in that in, mm -hmm. in um, shaping it and coming up with ideas for it and, and involving people. Because um, sometimes that's left to, you know, another person, uh, you know, an education director or dramaturg. But I think it's really healthy for playwrights to like kind of be more involved in that part too. Mm -hmm. And um, to help create the conversation that people will have the next day. Oh, I like that. I imagine that that being able to listen in on those post-play conversations is would also be immensely helpful for helping you, as you said, to shape your plays into something that are is audience friendly. Because if you see how the audience responded to this play and get to have a, a you know a real back and forth conversation with them about it, then you can really take that information forward into the next thing that you write. 
Right. Yeah. Yes. Everything. I mean, you take everything forward, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. advice and people's ways of approaching the text, you know, directors mm-hmm. and um, actors. So yeah, yeah. definitely. I like, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I love that just how involved you are in that process and being able to, um, like you said, like being, being part of the workshop process is so important because the play isn't done when you like write type the end at the end of the first draft, right? <laughs> There's still a lot more work to be done. Can you give us a snapshot of what you do right now? Is there a typical day or a typical week? I write. You know, I'm in front of my computer most of the day and half of the night. Um, so I, I write, I get projects going. I do a lot of activism um, in terms of helping organize people or, or organize ideas. And uh, so I, I work with the, the League of Professional Theater Women and uh, Honor Roll and a couple other groups and, and in reproductive freedom as well. Um, so it's, it's the things we've been talking about, research, writing, doing, um, a reading. If we, if it were in pandemic times, you know, it's been doing Zoom readings. Um, mm-hmm. but sometimes I would, uh, have lunch with an actor or actress and say, so I just wrote this, would you mind reading it <laughs> out loud? <laughs> and uh you know it's just um you know just trying to keep um myself engaged in whatever way so i i you know i i i'm like i'm like uh some people i know have gotten depressed uh in the last period, I'm like, mm-hmm. I have to work even harder. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this time now and I have I have these projects and I don't know what's gonna happen, but I just have to keep working harder. So mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever have days where you don't you just don't want to? Like you wake up and you're like, uh, I don't wanna put anything on the paper today. And what do you do about those days? <laughs> well, there are thinking days. I'm not somebody who sits down and writes like for, you know, two hours and then does, you know, I don't have that kind of schedule. I, I, I think I take notes. I imagine what my character might be doing or how to improve it, how to improve something. um, And then I kind of immerse myself in writing. So I set aside time to write. Um, So I, I think that the projects are always with me. Uh, you know, for better or worse, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm like the person in the, in the middle of a theater show is like looking for a scrap of paper so I can write down a note. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I have lots of um, that stack of playbills over there in the corner. I have tons of like little notes that I was scribbled in margins and things on playbills. Yep. <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's uh you know, there's certain aspects, like a lot of people are not keen on the marketing side. So I have to like, really like, you know, force myself to do that. Um, and, or, or say, I'll just do one hour today, you know, mm-hmm. like once a week, month. 
I'm a big fan of setting a timer and just like, I have to, I have to do this thing. I'm going to, like you said, like, I'm going to, I'm just going to spend an hour on it and I'm going to just do as much as I can in the hour. Um, so, and I'll set a timer when I, that's how I, I got through, um, both of my stints in grad school was like pour a glass of wine, set a timer for an hour, write the paper. And when that timer goes off, that's it. You hit submit, you're done. <laughs> and it, it works. It works both times through uh, all of my classes. <laughs> oh, well, great. Yeah. <laughs> New tip. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm, I'm also, you know, I think that that theater people in general are fairly deadline driven. I think that's one of the things that attracts us to it is like, you have this, the deadline of the opening night, like there's always, there's always something to be like moving towards and that's creating urgency. And that I yeah. definitely resonate with that. So for me, the timer just creates a sense of urgency that gets me to do things more efficiently and to actually get it done versus if I'm just like, Oh, I should like uh, do the thing <laughs> at some point. And then I just never get it done. Cause I just like dilly dally and procrastinate and fart around. So <laughs> that's yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's see, can you tell us a vivid memory that you have of the theater? A vivid memory. Yeah. Um, I have a couple. One is uh, from uh, a while back and one is somewhat recent, but the one that was a while back is, um, I have a a few plays, a couple of plays about women in sports, women from sports history. And there is something called there's an international conference of sports scholars. And okay, so they, I did not know that. That's brand new information. <laughs> there's a whole <clears throat> whole world of sports scholars, and there's also a whole world of sports literature, mm-hmm. right? Uh, contributors. So anyhow, they decided one year to do my uh, play at their conference, and the conference was in Hungary. So I went to Budapest and there were people from all over the world, a lot of whom didn't speak English. The actress um, was from Canada. And um, so, and the thing about sports scholars is they tend to be mostly male, like, mm-hmm. like, like 90%. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and they don't think, uh, they don't think that much about women in sports to be <laughs> You know, they think more about men, although there are Mm -hmm. some who have one guy who has an encyclopedia. So that was pretty fascinating just to watch people from all over the world responding and and, similar, you know, in the same way, you know, like they got it. They like totally were with the characters, even if they didn't understand the language. And uh, so I think that was pretty, that was pretty fun. That was pretty vivid. during the pandemic, uh, there was a program I was going to be part of uh, on on uh, domestic violence that got canceled, and they had asked me to write something. But then, when, then the person, the producer, at, decided to do um, a, a an online version. So I wrote something for that, and it was called "Writers and Artists Respond to Domestic Violence." And I wrote a short piece uh, called All Databases Are Incomplete. That was a monologue. And um, I think that that was kind of magical. It kind of accomplished everything I wanted it to accomplish. It And it kind of used everything that I feel I've accumulated over the years as a writer and, you know, um, interpreter or whatever. 
so that was in its own way was magical and um you know <clears throat> it might go on in other ways I mean, it, it already was repeated um uh, by women's center and uh, might be made into a film but just that the moment was just so satisfying you know people were able to discuss it afterwards and mm -hmm. i don't know it was um yeah, and it and it's about the it's about the kind of domestic violence that creeps up on people, <clears throat> you know, where they uh, where a woman starts to realize she's in a, a situation that is emotionally and sometimes physically abusive. Mm -hmm. So um, it's kind of like the quieter side, I guess, of domestic mm -hmm. violence because now we are used to hearing about the murders and the. The, the, the physical violence mm -hmm. so yeah so those are two moments yeah. I guess that were pretty powerful thank you for sharing um all right here's we get to some of my favorite uh half of the questions what is a skill or what skill or habit of mind do you use in your playwriting that if we applied that to life in general it would help us to live a better life well, okay. Well, <laughs> I think, um, again, I think I'm thinking of two things. One is mm -hmm. curiosity, mm -hmm. you know, just that wanting to know, wanting to be, you know, um, to, to understand something. And I think that applies for people in an audience and also for writers. And the other is um, just to keep you know, on your path to keep on your journey. You know, um, I, I, I think what I try to tell people is it's your own path and it's different from everyone else's because I think in, in theater, people tend to compare like a lot, like, you know, that person is on Broadway as an, you know, mm -hmm. as an actor and I didn't get to Broadway, you know. <clears throat> the same thing with writers, you know, that person had an opportunity. I didn't, but it's like, you're on your own path and you have to follow that. And um, <clears throat> I think when you do that, like, first of all, you're satisfying your own artistic needs, but also mm -hmm. things open up and, you f and, and they find you or you find them. Mm -hmm. And um, that getting down into comparing with other people is I find really one of the most destructive things in the probably in theater more than other areas I find people like falling into that you know mm -hmm. they didn't get and and it's endless what you know the top people in theater think they haven't done enough yeah <laughs> It's true. I know you're never actually going to get there. That's the yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, there is no there. There. Right? There's no there. <laughs> so you might as well enjoy the ride. You know, yeah. do what do what you can to you know fulfill it, be fulfilling, or fulfill yourself. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing a link there um, to another idea that really struck me from uh, the little bit of email exchange that we had. Um, which was your your thoughts on gender disparity and the and the sort of reason that it's worth fighting against gen, or fighting for gender parity, um, which is that uh, like the world gets better 
when we hear from more people and when more people are successful and more people are visible. Um, and to me, I'm seeing the link there between like everyone has their own path. We all have to do the, the our unique thing because then that's how the world you know, gets better when we're, when we're all doing the right things for ourselves. Yeah, <clears throat> and I will add to that, we should all be doing something for someone else. Mm. You know, some part of the day, some part of the week should be towards an activity that supports movement, a movement or the world, or, you know, I, I try and support other writers um, and, you know, go to their work or comment on their work. And, and I think that's like super important as well. But um, yeah, I totally believe that um, it's not just, it's not <clears throat> gender parity, it's not just about us as individuals. It's about ideas and concepts that need to be in the world and that are being are missing from the public square because uh, we're not hearing all the voices and we're not hearing all the perspectives. We're hearing a very, you know, in the past, up until now, we've hear, heard a very narrow group of people. Some of them are brilliant, um, but we're not hearing the other, you know, the other side. So one, one of the projects, <clears throat> I'm involved in now is called uh, Put a Woman on a Pedestal or and or Statue Fest. And um, so we uh, started looking at the women who deserve to have statues. And we engaged just four of us who um, organized this um, and, and it followed another project as well. Um, so we, and we started, we asked our writers to su submit names of people and then we, um, you know, got them to write monologues and we got a little money for them. And uh, so we put together four evenings of uh, women who deserve to be recognized mm -hmm. of all types of backgrounds. And it's been so much fun and so engaging. And, and the response from, from audience has been like, we started, you know, just with our own networks and we had to expand our, we did all on Zoom. We had to expand our Zoom room, you know. Oh. That's great. We're gonna, yeah. <laughs> and we're, and we're going to keep doing it. But it was also, um, it was also collaborating, you know, with lots of people, as many people as we could, and, um, and opening the doors to this idea. But, you know, um, in New York City, there's something like 160 statues, and six or seven are of women. Mm -hmm. real women so women are not being represented in the public square mm -hmm. even you know highly accomplished women uh who should be there as we as you know we discovered so it's getting you know and and we're we the society are losers for that i mean the statues are mostly men on horses or men <laughs> holding some important piece of paper. <laughs> but, you know, we're missing the, the, the women who were uh, setting up uh, social service networks and mm -hmm. who were creating off-Broadway theater or who uh, discovered scientific breakthroughs for which they did not get the Nobel and, uh, until, you know, uh, after some man got it for, you know, so it's, um, 
you know, I think, and I think that all comes back to we're not respecting everybody in society, and that includes playwrights. Um, and we need to somehow bring some balance into um, how we're seeing the world. Um, so, yeah, I. Yeah, I love it. I love that you're working towards that. That project sounds amazing. Where, uh, well, I'll ask at the end too, but um, where where could a person learn more about that Women on Pedestals project? Um, we have a little teeny website and we have um, um, a Twitter account and a Instagram, uh, Statue Fest 2021, I think they are. And we actually have a, a little grant, so we're going to be doing some more, um, or we are putting up ones that we had, and um, you know, and, and also we've had people inquire from like California and uh, Washington State, you know, like how could they do it, or could mm -hmm. they use our work, or whatever. Um, it just kind of caught people's um, imagination in some kind yeah. of. Way. Definitely. It's catching my imagination. I think it sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a little teeny website. I, I can put it in the chat if you like, because it doesn't have sure. an easy. Um... Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll put that in the show notes um, so people can link forward from when they're listening to the podcast. Amazing. Okay. Um, and while you're copying and pasting that, the next question is, what is a challenge that you're facing right now? or something that you're struggling with? <laughs> Other than like a specific play, I mean. You know. Well, I mean, it can be anything. I think we just, you know, there, there's a tendency to sort of gloss over sometimes the, the present difficulties of, you know, being an artist and being a craftsperson. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we just as a society in general, but especially as also as women and also as artists that we recognize that there's always a struggle. Like there's, everyone is always in <laughs> some form of uh, forward progress that has a little bit of negative inertia behind it, um, which I've never said that way before, but I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I, I just think it's it's nice to, for us to hear that um, that you know I'm not the only one who is currently having a challenge. So it could be anything. It could be a play that you're writing. It could be maybe it's something interpersonal with someone you're working with I mean you know whatever pops okay, into your head yeah <laughs> well I think what's popping into my head is uh one particular piece that I've rewritten maybe it's a it's a short piece but I've rewritten it maybe 30 times mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I suddenly realized I have to do it again oh no um, <laughs> And again, it's it's for a specific program, but it's for a, a, a STEM project for girls. And it was canceled, and then it was scheduled and canceled. Now it's scheduled again for in person. <clears throat> and um, I, I just it gets me. It just I want it to be just right for this audience, mm. which is a very international group of young women. Uh, who are exploring the idea of science. Mm -hmm. And this is a, bio a biography. And um, I just, you know, getting the right level for the right, um, for this very diverse group and for one performer 
Oh, I know it's going to be, I don't know. It's just been a challenge. It's been hard. I've, I've done all the research, (laughs) talked with a woman's daughter, uh, you know, but I just, and it reminds me of how many different ways you can do a play. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. at some point I have to say, I thought I was there. I said, this is it. But then I was like, oh, it's not it. So <laughs> so when you say that you have rewritten it 30 times, are you starting over from scratch every time or are some of those major revisions? I would say I've started over from scratch four, four times. Okay. And, and I'm, and I'm going to do one more. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's one more. It could be. Hopefully, hopefully this one's the one. We'll keep my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> But I love that you're taking so much care with it. It's obviously a story um, and, you know, a, a situation that you want to do right by. And I think that's and, really wonderful. Yeah. And I want to do right by the audience and the, mm-hmm. and the people who are putting it together, too, who are a very grassroots group out in, uh, that I, I know. They're out in Queens. And um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came to one of their events because she started in science. Yeah. (laughs) But they just raised, it's just regular people who just saw that that nobody was doing this in this, you know, there's supposedly 167 languages in Queens or something like that. And just um, former school teacher, and she just decided to put this together. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of kind of really beautiful that she has to do a play mm-hmm. instead of um just having people talk or doing maybe mm-hmm. science presentations so i i i want it to be i want it to be the best it can be yeah so, absolutely. or the best i can make it yeah so let's put it that way <laughs> i love that um what's the most important lesson that theater has taught you oh man <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, this is not an important lesson exactly, but first, I, I was disappointed when I joined the theater at their treatment of women. And mm-hmm. from the very first day that I entered theater, I w- they asked me at the Playwright Center, they had gotten a grant to have a women's playwriting conference, but they had nobody to run it. So they said, well, how, how about would you run it? They had, you know, they, they had no money for to pay me either but I said okay and so I was exposed to the um, lack of gender parity and the the uh, incredible ways that women were pushed aside from the very first day I entered the theater world and so that's it was what kept getting me involved in various uh, activities and you know from that which I think was the first play, women's playwriting conference in the country to, you know, forming various groups. I was on the coalition, on the board of the Coalition for Professional Women in Theater, uh, Arts and Media rather, and formed something called a Collaboration Award. And then I went to the League of Professional Theater Women where I started a program called Theater Connections to try and help get, get women connected. And I've been involved in like all the advocacy so I think I'm still, and now I'm involved in honor roll, which is women over 40. Uh, and I'm on the executive committee. And I think 
uh, just from that very beginning to now, I still get shocked by how women have not found uh, gender representation in theater. And, and it's, it's true in other areas as well, but there seemed to be less consciousness about it in the theater for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so your question though was what did, what, what What's a I lesson? Learned? Yeah. yeah, a lesson. I think um, I'm gonna take it the other way first. A lesson I learned in the world uh, in working on other uh, rights issues is that uh, it's a constant, it's a constant, your, your rights go away if you don't have them, you know, if you don't uh, cultivate them. And um, so that, you know, you can't like win rights like reproductive rights and then say, oh, we did that. It's a constant. They constantly need to be supported. And that takes a movement. So what I learned from that, like there was one day when I just remembered uh, going to a march in Washington and I was working with a politician at the time and wrote a speech for him. And it suddenly clicked, like this is not going to end. You know, this mm -hmm. is something that you need to do every day and that you need to do your entire, you know, able existence. So I take that back to the theater is tenacity, mm -hmm. is the tenacity to keep going, to keep, you know, uh, raising issues, to keep um, uh, raising values, you know, to stand, to stay with your values and um, to, to keep, you know, trying to spread them and convince people and to make it a better theater and a better world. I think they're connected. Mm -hmm. so I, I don't know if that touches the question at all. But. Oh, absolutely. It does. <laughs> I am curious um, what, like there's specific, like what are the specific ways that you saw? So you came to theater sort of later in your career in adulthood. Um, what, what were the experiences at the beginning there that really showed you that women were not, that there wasn't gender, gender parity in the theater. What was actually happening? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a big this, question, but I'm just like, I, you know, I, I like specifics. Yeah, right, so. right, right. Um, the statistics, you know, there are very few women involved in the theater. There were hardly any women that were produced on Broadway. Um, the opportunities, um, there, there wasn't a grant support. There was grant support for some other marginalized groups, but they were like, oh, it'll even out um, for women uh, without recognizing that women were facing challenges. Um, you know, it's kind of amorphous. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, but I remember one piece that I have <clears throat> is a collaboration with uh, a guy. Uh, and we went, this was later, this was in New York. And we went to a production meeting. I have been the one to go to all the production meetings. And we were being, you know, batted around right and left. It was a commission project. So we went to this, he came with me to this one production meeting. And we walked out onto the street and he started yelling, 
like in the middle of Broadway, they're treating us like girls. They're treating us like girls. And I was like, but this is how they always are, you know, to me. So just the recognition that like, you're not uh, at women's voices, we're, we're not being heard, you're being marginalized. Uh, sometimes you could even be in your own production and the male tech people weren't, wouldn't listen to you. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, when you would hear, I remember one time uh, in Minneapolis, uh, there was a visiting playwright who was coming, who was a woman. And I remember uh, we were all going on all the playwrights and the artistic director said, oh, you won't believe how good looking she is. You'll be so excited to meet her. And I was, <laughs> exactly, I was like, but how good of a writer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why can't we talk about her writing, not her mm -hmm. looks? Mm -hmm. So, and that I think um, is kind of a problem in the theater where they, you know, where certain things have been prized um, unconsciously, maybe, and that might be wealth connections, um, att physical attractiveness mm -hmm. over ideas, um, diversity, you know, uh, philosophy, de depth of perspective. Um, so those are, are some things that are just, they're, they're harder, you know, to, to pin the tail on. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what, you know, um, many women in theater experience. And mm -hmm. if they don't, they're, it's great. And they're really, you know, that's the way it should be and they're really lucky and they can set a model <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep so absolutely. many times um i've written a play and i was part of the women's project and i and i love the women's project i think i was in the first uh, playwrights group mm -hmm. that they formed and i was a, a member uh i was the, uh, maybe one of the first people from out of town that they invited to be a member and then i moved to new york and was a member but so many times you have a play and, and you take it to someone and we take it to someone and uh, they'd say, have you talked to the women's project? <laughs> like, like they can, they only do three plays a year, you know, like yep. this is going <laughs> to, and that the only way they could see you is as a woman, not as a person with ideas mm -hmm. and uh, not with ideas or uh, and not with a person with important ideas mm -hmm. or ways of understanding the world. Uh, so. Yeah, like you had to be put in that, the women's project box in order yeah. to, to be valid, right? Well, like, so oh, only, oh, you're a lady. So you, this yeah. is the box that you go in and we open exactly. this box once a year when we're picking our one woman playwright for the season. So that's where that goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's exactly. <laughs> Is people, you know, and so there's a lot of like, you know, unconscious bias to get over, you know, um, and, and I equate it most to philosophy. I mean, I think playwrights, good playwrights are, <clears throat> have philosophy and they're, and they are philosophizers. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's just a handful of women that are recognized in that world. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, 
getting getting leaders to understand that women have ideas <laughs> and concepts is is uh, always just a little you know harder of a push. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And what is and your philosophy? I, well, I just want to say if they're further, yeah. further marginalized, you know, as, as, um, you know, a woman of color or mm-hmm. a woman with a disability or, you know, now ages becomes some kind of um, mm-hmm. disadvantage, um, it makes it, you know, doubly and triply hard. Yeah, what absolutely. Is, what is, oh, um, I was wondering, you said every, every writer has a philosophy and I was wondering what is, what's yours? What's mine? Um <laughs> I uh, am very much, uh, I guess, into human rights, and I'm a humanist, and I believe in expanding uh, human rights to um, people in all sorts of situations, whether it's um, housing or international relations or body politics, uh, autonomy, um, and so I, I come from that perspective of advancing justice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Last What's question. Your philosophy? What's your philosophy? Oh, what is my philosophy? Huh, it's a great question. I think my philosophy is encapsulated by um, what I was saying earlier about um, how every person has something really unique to offer the world and that the more we can shape the world to open up opportunities and windows for each person to be, to follow that unique path, then the better the whole world, like it just, it betters, it betters all of humanity and all of society and all of the earth when each of us is expressing our fullest purpose. Um, Yeah. I think that's my, that's my big thing in the world. (laughs) It's just like, how do we let each person be their best person? Uh That's great. Thanks. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's led me down some interesting paths into conversations exactly like this one, which is wonderful. So, um, all right, last question. (sighs) This is your opportunity to plant a seed in the hearts, minds, or spirits of everyone who's listening to this podcast. What would you like to plant there? Well, what I would like to plant is the idea that um, you're on your own path and to stay with that, but also um, you have an, everybody, no matter what level they're at, has an obligation to reach out and to do something beyond themselves um, to support uh, other people who don't have opportunities, other people who have needs and, um, so it's about more than it's, you know, you should make your life <clears throat> and your theater life about more than you, uh, but about, you know, supporting um, your light, finding your light. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully done. Very, very nice. <laughs> All right, Cindy, if listeners I, want to- I candle, light a candle for the rest of the world. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Um, if someone wants to contact you to say how much they appreciated what you were saying today, or if they want to hire you, or they want to take a look at your 
catalog of plays, what is the best way for someone to find you? Um, website. Uh, I will drop a link in the show notes. Sin, sincooperwriter.net. Mm-hmm. And um, within that, I have a section on place and long place, short place. Perfect. And that is, <laughs> um, yeah, so that is C-Y-N-C-O-O-P-E-R writer.net. Exactly. For anyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time today um, and for sharing your heart and your thoughts and your energy with us today. Really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you doing this so much. (sighs) That was pretty great. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm on a bit of a social media break at the moment, but you can find some good past episodes and information about this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL podcast and on Facebook at find your light podcast. And you can always just drop me a line to say what you think, to suggest awesome guests for future episodes, or just say hello to me and my cat. And you can reach me via email at podcast at emilystamets.com that way. I appreciate you so much, and I hope that you are having a beautiful day. Talk to you next time. This is your life. You're strong and brave. You are enough. Follow your heart. Your ego's tough, creative, and smart. Tap into collective wisdom. Design your life. Live your director's vision Find your light Find your light Take center stage This is your life You're strong and brave You are enough Follow your heart Your ego's tough Creative and smart Tap into collective wisdom Design your life, live your director's vision, find your life.